Welcome to Hunts and Unicorns. I'm Simon Kutis and I'm joined by my co-host Ollie Kune. Welcome back to the show, everyone. And it's a pleasure to welcome Chris Mahoney. Chris, welcome to the show. Simon, Ollie, it's great to be here. Thank you so much for the invitation. The pleasure is absolutely all ours, Chris. Thank you so much for joining us today. By way of an introduction, you're currently the SVP of Worldwide Sales at Launch Darkly, having previously been part of the incredible success story at ServiceNow, where you helped them transition from a single product play to a multi-product enterprise sales motion. When you first joined, you helped to launch the first product line and grow revenue from just below 50 million to over a billion, and then repeated that four more times. And if ever you needed a further testimony of excellence, you were hired by Andy Byron, you were taught by Keith Butler, and you were promoted by Tom Schmidt. Just truly, truly incredible. So Chris, it's it's a a really amazing story. It is a great, great career that you've had, but take us right to the beginning. How did you first enter software sales? Well, so I grew up in Boston and uh, I started my career actually in consumer software with a company called The Learning Company. And I was there for about seven years and that's where we went through 27 mergers and acquisitions. Started at about 150 million in revenue and we grew to about 1.5 billion before we were sold to Mattel, the toy company for about 3.5 billion. So obviously, you know, that was your that was your first kind of entry into sales. At what point did you then start really getting into into kind of the, the hardcore sales, the, the hardcore SaaS sales uh, experience? Take us take us there. Well, I held a few different roles at the learning company, started in operations and then I went into sales and uh, they sent me down to Manhattan to learn how to sell. And that was interesting. And um, years later, when I moved up to Montreal, I transitioned from consumer software into enterprise sales. So you actually took leadership positions before you joined your BMC. Yeah, I was. I actually had to take a step back. So I was leading a $25 million business with 10 people in the consumer software industry. And when I went into enterprise software, I went all the way back down to the bottom and became an account executive for years. So, so Chris, you obviously had a very, very illustrious con- career, uh, you know, early on, on the consumer side, but then you obviously transitioned into kind of an enterprise um, selling motion. You obviously joined BMC, but you actually had to make sacrifices to make that leap. Why? Why? First of all, did you make that choice, and what can you tell us about that process? Well, at the time, the consumer software industry was uh, declining. Most of the entertainment software was moving online. And so I had a friend up in Montreal that was working at IBM as an account executive and said, hey, it looks like he's making a pretty good living. Maybe I could do that. And so I had to then take several steps back. I went from leading a team uh, in Canada in the consumer software industry to starting over as an account executive. And obviously, BMC is an organization which, you know, that the sales motion has obviously been well documented as part of this the various series that we've obviously covered. Tell us about your transition into that role. Obviously, you were already quite senior. You already had kind of an established way of doing things. How, how, tell us about that transition period. What did you have to change? What did you learn? What was kind of new about that? There was a lot that was new. And though I had experience, um, I wasn't sure how applicable it was. The interview at BMC was really different. It was different from anything I had ever gone through. 
And um, it was conducted mostly by the Blade Logic folks. Uh, as you mentioned, Andy Byron was leading that Northeast division. And so it was his team that interviewed me. And normally I was used to going through sales performance metrics and like, how did you get to where you got to? But they were diving into who you are, like where you came from, how do you approach different situations? And throughout the process, I was really getting this feeling like they were trying to figure out how did I tick? Like what made me tick? What made me successful? And so I had a lot to learn. I, I mean, when I started at BMC, um, I was thrilled and I was terrified at the exact same time because I just felt like um, the process was so different than anything I had done before. So obviously, um, you, you were hired by Andy Byron, you know, as you alluded to just, just, just a moment ago. Obviously, it is really important that they understand the person and what makes you tick. And then how did you then find how that was applied in terms of what they were coaching you on and what you were working on and in terms of the kind of the, the first initiatives that you were part of? You know, one of the things that they always focused on was learning. And for me, that became a key belief, you know, approaching situations with a beginner's mindset, um, listening like you're wrong. Uh, there, there was all these new acronyms and this new process that you had to step through. And I think that uh, in particular, Andy saw that I was struggling. Um, I needed to learn how they operated and how to operate effectively. And one thing about that culture and one thing about that team was when they see potential, they spend extra time. And I'm extremely grateful for, you know, the, all the time that he spent with me to, to teach me the process, to teach me, you know, the solutions and how do you actually execute, get into, for instance, uh, an economic buyer. What would you say was the hardest element to learn out of that, all those processes that you were being taught by Andy? I'd say two things. The, the first would be, again, that beginner's mindset. It's, it's sort of like suspending the things that you've learned and attending to the things that you're trying to do and forgetting that I had this experience in starting with this new mindset, like, okay, I haven't done this before. I have to approach it like I'm a rookie. That was the first thing. And I think the next thing was just straight up courage. They were asking us to go to places and to get to personas within an organization I had never done before. And not only that, but being a kid from Boston, living in Montreal, um, I wasn't bilingual at the time, and it was hard getting into French-speaking executives. Yeah, so obviously there's this assumption that you know the people that we feature on this on this show tend to be you know elite, right? And there's this assumption that perhaps it's innate. But I think what's interesting with what you've just shared now is that you know by your own admission, you struggled initially. What, what what were you going through kind of mentally? I, I know you've kind of covered some of it, but t talk to us about how you really coped with that and, and what you actually learned from that experience also. Well, I think one of the benefits I had was I was a bit older. I had two children at that time. And um, so I think that becoming a parent helped me become more patient, both with the process and with myself. And... Um, one of the things that the team made okay was failure and it couldn't be consistent. You were not going to be there for a long time if you failed over and over again, but making mistakes was acceptable. In fact, it was encouraged. If you were not pushing and you were not trying 
hard enough, then you probably, and, and you were not making mistakes because of that, then you probably were not trying hard enough. So that's one of the big things I learned. So, so what changed? What, how, how did it all start to get come together? Well, I'd say there's two things. The, the, the first thing was just execution. Nothing is ever going to replace execution. And understanding that, you know, every meeting, every phone call, every email that you are executing, it is one step towards your goal. And for me, what happened was I connected the activity and the data, and then I was able to actually direct in a proactive way what I was doing so that I could effectively execute a sales cycle. So that was the, I think that was the first learning. So, so when you obviously, at the moment, you're obviously a, a leader, you've been a leader now for a while. How does that experience help you when kind of nurturing your own teams? And, and, and how, how does that, how do you apply those learnings to, to, to how you're supporting and executing your teams at the moment? Well, I think this goes in two different directions. One is uh, about the people, but the other is about the process. So I'll start with the process first. So one of the things that I learned was just how important MedPick was. And in particular, how important ICE was. I think some of the previous guests have talked about this. Identified pain, champion, and economic buyer. And when I was an account executive, um, I was struggling with a, a deal in Montreal. And it was, it was Keith Butler that helped me. He really took the time to help me understand what the corporate objectives were of that telco and then how I could align our solution to their corporate initiatives. And it really, it really turned a light on for me in a room of how important it is to get to the economic buyer. And that stayed with me throughout my career. So one of the things I try to do with my teams and one of the things I tried to do as we were launching multiple products at ServiceNow was... Who is that economic buyer? Who is ultimately going to sponsor this investment? And then from there, I could trickle down into champions and identified pain. So that was a very, very important experience for me. Talk us a bit more about that experience, because I know it's obviously been quite profound in, in your career and, and probably quite a big turning point for you. But can you just elaborate a little bit more on that story for us and give us a bit more insight into that story? Well, I remember being in Toronto uh, at a QBR and the deal um, had slipped. And so now I'm going into the next quarter and everyone's skeptical that I'm going to deliver it. And after I had presented, um, I remember going to get a cup of coffee and Keith was there. And just as Keith is, he just started asking questions and he was so patient. And then I asked if I could circle back with them later in the day. And of course he said, yes. And we ended up walking around one more time and he just started to almost thread a needle for me. And he started to show me like, well, isn't that business initiative connected to that particular persona? And isn't that persona the one that you're trying to get to? And coincidentally, he was managing the Western half of Canada at the time. And so he had um, another large telco on the West Coast. So he was very familiar with the industry and he was very familiar with the personas. So that was a breakthrough moment for me. So obviously, you know, it, it's it's amazing to, to obviously receive, you know, coaching like that. How, how has that helped to, to kind of sculpt the type of leader that you've become, Chris? Because obviously, you know, the, these water cooler moments with, with people like Keith Butler are obviously going to have a big impact on you. 
tell us about how this has kind of shaped you and, and your approach. You know, they say hindsight's twenty twenty. So when I look back to the interview process and I look back to the struggles that I had with, with the actual process at BMC, and then I look at what Keith and so many others have done, you know, lending a helping hand, listening, role-playing, it's all about the people. And what I learned from that experience was if you endeavor to meet someone where they are, and you really, really listen to what their situation is, what their struggles are, whether it's someone on your team or it's a customer, um, you can help them step into their potential and you can help them really unleash and unlock their ability to get to where they wanna go. And that stayed with me. And that's been the cornerstone of how I've been successful. It's not me, it's it's the people that I'm, I'm able to go and find. You talk about empathetic accountability. Tell us a little bit about how that how that works. Well, as I said, I grew up in Boston. So I went to, uh, I went to a school there and I was a pretty energetic kid. And so I was very, very lucky that the principal, Sister Marie, uh, would take me out of class and I would be setting up chairs in the auditorium and breaking them down. And, you know, she, she realized that that outlet was a way for me to focus. And then throughout that process, she would, you know, help me kind of with the lessons. And one of the things, or I should say three of the things she always talked about was empathy. Like, what would it be like to be in that person's situation? And then what could you do to help that person? And then how would you help that person help themselves? And so those three lessons really formed empathy, service, and accountability for me. And that's, that's the way I lead my teams. That's the way I build my teams. And that's what I'm trying to build at LaunchDarkly. So how do you find the balance between empathy and accountability? I don't think it's hard at all. Um, I think that when someone wants to succeed, when they're not succeeding, they're suffering. And so I want to help them. I want to help them get to where they want to go. And if they truly, truly want to succeed, they don't mind being held accountable. I think it's, it's in the way that you do it. Um, and, you know, I read a line once in a book and it said, um, intent is more important than technique, but technique is important. And, and so you have to approach those conversations in the right way. And I think that's where the empathy comes in and that's where the service comes in. But at the end of the day, if somebody wants to be successful, I'm just a vessel for that. I'm here to help them become successful. But part of that contract is I'm going to hold you accountable. I think it's, yeah, yeah it's, I think it's a really interesting part of this subject. And I think it's a good point to actually reflect because at BMC, you moved up the ranks. You obviously then became and got promoted into leadership. When you compare yourself as a leader at BMC in comparison to when you were a leader in, you know, the, in, in your previous walks of life, how did, did you ever take that time to assess and compare? I, I have. I, I took some time off last summer, and so it was it was really a good moment for me to kind of look back. And I was terrible <laughs> when I started. You know, I, I I made so many mistakes, and the and the teams were so patient with me. Um, but I think that everybody finds their way, and um, I just feel very fortunate to be you know to be surrounded by so many great leaders. Um, but like when I went to service, now it took it to another level. Like there were completely different personas, ones that, you know, are not part of like this particular story, but they were just as intense. They were just as service oriented and they were just as people focused. 
And so I'm just grateful that I had the opportunity to learn and grow with them and to become a better leader myself. Tell us about that story then, the transition from BMC to, to ServiceNow and the different environment that you moved into. It reminded me a lot of BMC because of you know just how terrified I was. Um, <laughs> I had never done what they asked me to do before. So ServiceNow at the time in 2015 was a single product company in a single marketplace. And I was brought in to help them become a multi-product company across multiple marketplaces. So I, I was the first guy that they brought in in a global role. And, um, and, and so learning how to succeed in an environment where you actually didn't have control was one of the first lessons. So prior to ServiceNow, my teams had reported to me. So you were kind of in control of like what people were doing. But now I was moving into a matrix organization where I had to lead through influence. And that was a big breakthrough for me, was to learn how to lead people at scale, but through influence because they were not on your team anymore. So obviously the, the leadership team at ServiceNow is obviously well documented. You had you know, exceptional leaders, CEOs, the kind of the four CEOs across the different stages. You also had influence from from the CRO. How important were they as a kind of support network to you? And what did you learn from, from that leadership at um, at ServiceNow? Well, when I started, Frank Schlutman was there and he is well known for um, high execution. And that's exactly what I saw. So even though the process was different um, than, you know, BMC or, or you know, the, the traditional MedPick role companies, the intensity was still there. They were still moving at breakneck speed. And, you know, one of the things that, that Frank would say is uh, strategy is good, but we're going to figure it out through execution. And the other thing he would say is don't ever be afraid to turn up the speed. There, there's always room to turn it up in an organization. And so when you thought you were moving fast, next thing you know, Frank would turn it up just a little bit and next you'd be off to the races. You know, you'd, you'd get to the next level. So, um, you know, for me, like the takeaway was you, you can have a different process, but if you have the same culture and the same intensity and the same mindset of, you know, we want winners, you can succeed. Frank wrote a very good book on that for all our viewers called Amp It Up. And he refers to a, a lot of what um, Chris was just saying there. Um, but when you joined ServiceNow, there wasn't any command the message. There wasn't any medic. Um, obviously, it was your first position in, in really solution selling. How did you transition and how, you know, how did you get good at that job? <laughs> well, first I got bad, then I got good. Um, <laughs> But it was also my first global role. Um, I still remember I started in June and I was flying to London in October to present to the whole EMEA team. And I was supposedly this expert in this product line. And the biggest thing that I, I took away from that first year was, was listening. Th these were incredibly successful account executives every single one of them could make their number on that one product that we mentioned earlier. They really didn't need the one that I was trying to help them retire quota with and listening to where each of them were and trying to figure out how I could create a better together message between the two solutions 
that that was the that was the vertical leap. That was how we we started to really really accelerate and and show the teams that you know what they were selling was complementary to what I was trying to help them sell. Help us understand that better together, and that how you go through the process of creating alignment through those solutions. I think it goes back to ice. And so when I break down identified pain and I break down champions and then I break down EBs, what I do in my head is I think of all of the adjacent value propositions from that single solution. And so what's to the right, what's to the left, what's north, what's south? How is it that I can make a connection so that I can expand my sphere of influence across that organization? And that's exactly what happened. Because they were very successful in one of the domains within IT, but um, there were upward and downward dependencies between this other domain. And that's where I came in. And I helped to make that connection both within the enterprise, within the organization, so that they could see that these two solutions put together were better and they could be more effective and they could achieve their corporate objectives. And then it was also internally showing the account executives that these solutions were more powerful. And it became a moat. We had a significant key differentiator at ServiceNow against all other competition. It just took someone to articulate that simply and, and give it to the account executives in a way that they could go and execute. What was the way you actually executed this, this transformation? Because this is, this is change management in essence, right? You're obviously really changing the sales culture, but also having to get messaging and alignment from executives. Talk to us about the different facets which were required to kind of bring that together and enable that to actually um, become a reality. Yeah, that was, that was my first experience in like organizational change. And being in sales, you know, sometimes you, so I started in operations. And so my, my brain kind of works like a supply chain um, in consumer goods. I started in operations. And so I always looked at sales as very much like a supply chain. But at BMC and in other roles, I was kind of only responsible for like one part of that supply chain. And so the blinders were blown off when I went into ServiceNow and I realized I had to do all this. Like there were resources, but I had to get into that cross-functional value chain at ServiceNow, whether it was product, support, professional services, marketing, you know, the pre-sales organization. And we had to connect everyone together so that we could fly in formation. And not only was it to create a compelling value proposition for the solution that we were selling, but it was to tie into what we were already doing well. I'm intrigued here, Chris, because you know, from the way you talk about it, obviously you've been in, you've been bought into service now for a very specific reason, right? To help build out across, you know, multi-solution cell, enterprise cell. When you've got no experience in doing that before, well, why do you think that they brought you in to do that job? A very direct question. I appreciate yeah, that. I, mean, I just, I, I suppose I I've got my recruitment hat on more than anything else here. And I'm just thinking, you know, what, what specifically do you think it was? Because obviously you've done a phenomenal job at it, but you know, on paper, it's a risk, right? Absolutely. Um, I think to answer you directly, I had worked with the gentleman that recruited me years before that at CompuWare. And um, I, we were calling on the same exact like territory here in the Midwest. 
he was the ServiceNow leader for the Midwest and I was the BMC leader for the Midwest. And, um, you know, I think that he saw that I had a pretty high level of competency in that particular product line, you know, in the data center, for instance, that's what it was. And he thought that I could, I could do the job. It took a lot of convincing because I wasn't even sure I could do the job. And multiple times in my you know, career at ServiceNow, I was put into situations that I had no business being in. <laughs> and I, I honestly don't know. I just, I think that for me, I, I won't get outworked um, and I'm not afraid of being wrong. And so what I tried to do is just find the people within the organization that could either help me understand what the situation was, what this new persona was, or they could help me um, establish like the, the cadence and the go-to-market motion that we had to, we had to build. So, you know, Ollie, I don't know, um, but it worked out. <laughs> I suppose the question as well was probably alluding to, do you think the support of BMC and being able to really break down the sales process really enabled you to kind of take a very pragmatic view on how to go and solve that problem? 100%. Like, without a doubt, I can vividly remember the first meeting that I had at ServiceNow. Um, like I said, I was hired in June 2015. And the next week, I was in Santa Clara, and I was in a boardroom. And I was trying to understand, so you've got some sales with this product, but you don't have widespread adoption. And I specifically remember going to the whiteboard and I put up ice and I put the customers that they had on the left-hand side. And I asked the, the product owners and the pre-sales team to go through and tell me what that identified pain is. And what was supposed to be an hour meeting ended up taking two days because we were not getting the clarity that I thought we needed on what was really the pain that we were solving and who was actually championing this sale. At the beginning, it was people thought that the original champion for IT service management was championing this other sale, but they weren't. We had to, so I had to kind of break it down so that the BMC experience was absolutely positively foundational. And, and that mindset is what I used. So when I would be asked to go take over a new product line, that's exactly what I would do. I would go in and I would say, okay, where's, where's the identified pain? Where's the champions? Where are the EBs? How is it that we actually get deals done in this particular domain? I think this is really, really key because obviously what you've just shared is that you entered kind of an executive meeting, really addressing the kind of the ICP, really kind of talking about, you know, what are the pains, who are the personas? And it's interesting how those decisions are obviously made at that kind of executive level, but they're also transferable to the individual contributor as well. So tell us how important that is at that individual contributor level as well. Now that you've obviously made that link and, and you've, you're articulating that, how important is that for ICs to really go after that and, and really kind of understand exactly who they're targeting, how they're targeting them and, and, and what they're targeting them with? It's, it's critical. You mentioned organizational change. You know, the number one reason why it fails is the urgency is not communicated from the top down. And that was my responsibility. I would take what we produced and literally go out and go on sales calls with account executives. And I would spend time in the offices and just going through and role playing 
and training those teams so that, you know, they, they at least knew I started off with, what do you listen for? Then I moved them into what is the follow-up question? So it was, it was really a methodical step-by-step process to develop, I think, an awareness that these problems existed and then to develop the connection that these problems could be solved between the two solutions. And for me, like the thing that really stood out was taking the process deeper into the product lines. That was something that I had never seen. So I had applied the playbook as a salesperson in the field, but then being able to pick that playbook up and bring it deeper into the product teams, what it did was it actually accelerated our ability to succeed because the product was coming out and it was already aligned to the ICP. And then I was able to just create relevant materials to then go train the field. So what should you be listening out for? Well, in in the context of that particular product line, I started off with something really, really simple. And um, I said to all the account executives, I said, um, IT service management and ITOM are the closest cousins. In order to have an incident and a change in IT service management, you need to have an event and an alert in ITOM. So just go run an incident report that's going to tell you where all the events and alerts are. It was really just that simple. And I would say, follow the breadcrumbs. Now, people didn't know how to do that. So we would run the reports together. And then I would say, hey, look, they've had a window outage every single week for this much time. Do you think we should go talk to them about that? What's happening there? Do you feel that this point was the true realization of how the foundations of the playbook really gave you the confidence at this stage of your career? And I'm talking about a service now here when you're seeing and being able to go and execute this, take on a different role, take on a new opportunity, take on a new challenge, apply that playbook to this organization. Do you think that was the real you know, moment of appreciation to the playbook? When I think about it, I think that that was crystallized when I became the chief of staff. Okay. I was so busy in that one product line for two years trying to grow it that I was just applying what I knew. And I don't, I don't think I consciously knew like, okay, I'm applying MedPick and, you know, this is how it's going to work. Um, I, I just kind of was like driven to do it that way. But when I was asked to become the chief of staff by Dave Schneider and, and the executive team, it was, it was, Chris, go scale out the other businesses the way you scaled out ITOM. Just use the same playbook. And I was like, I, I don't have a playbook. I, I just kind of did it the way I thought. But then I thought about it and I'm like, wait, I do have a playbook. I do have a way of actually going to do this. And that was when like the light went on And I said, okay, I can use this in customer service. I can use this in employee workflow. I can use this in in security incident management. And it just became this fabric that I I was able to really filter the business performance through in order to help us achieve the speed and scale that we desired. That in mind, you stepped into the role at BMC, absolutely crap in your pants. You've now made this point of realization, uh, chief of staff, as you talk about it, service now. 
have you ever crapped yourself as much now knowing that you have that in your armory and it's the <laughs> confidence of that playbook which has now enabled you probably not to crap yourself as much every day you know <laughs> um if if you're not scared you're not pushing it hard enough and even though i have i think this this great playbook there's always new situations um and just because you were successful in the past, it doesn't mean that you're going to be successful. The key is it's that beginner's mindset. It's the curiosity and listening, you know, like you're wrong and listening like it's the first time that you've ever done this before, knowing that you've got good experience, but then figuring out how do I adapt? Because it, I mean, at the end of the day, we all rent success. You know, it could be here one week, it could be gone the next. And, you know, you just have to get up every day and earn it. And so um, I, I think I still have that in the back of my mind that I'm, um, you know, I'm thrilled and I'm terrified at the same time, you know, every day I wake up. It's, it's, as I said, I think it's, it's, it's an amazing, I think, realization and from how we've, the conversations that we've had and found out the profound effects that the, the fundamentals of how we approach any software sales or enterprise sales or you know any sales motion really that having this as i said very pragmatic blueprint that can really help us and guide us take a very kind of um, open view on how to approach this problem i think has really been one of the reasons why we as a you know hunters and unicorns have continued to tell the story why why we're kind of wanting to oxygenate this so much more because do you know what it, it's a north star it's a compass it gives you a perspective i was um i was on stage last week at launch darkly's rko and i was presenting what we called the formula for success and at the bottom of it was the customer engagement process in medpic and one of the things that i shared with the team was i said you know i'm here because of this this is not something that you just do once or twice. If you really commit yourself to it, this can not only change your life and your professional trajectory, but it can help you change other people's lives. And that's why I'm here. I, I, I'm, the, I'm the product of a lot of patient people that taught me this. And I feel a strong obligation to go back into the community and do exactly the same thing. So you took two further, sorry, three further promotions um at ServiceNow, eventually you became global VP of Solution Sales. Talk to us about those different transitions. So obviously, um, as chief of staff, you were responsible for kind of growing out that kind of repeating what you'd achieved with one product line across multiple lines. Tell us about what the, the various roles were and, and, and how your current kind of career and influence progressed within the organization. Over the years, we had expanded the products. And so what we needed to do to make it easier for both our customers and our sellers to understand um, what we were doing was we had to consolidate these into logical workflows. And so that was when we came out with the technology workflow, the employee workflow and the customer workflow. And at some point along my time at ServiceNow, I had all of those. And um, at the end, um, I was actually overseeing um, all of them uh, for, for a period of time. And it was just, it was just unbelievable. Like I, I didn't have any experience managing, you know, a hundred people, 200 people, 500 people. 
it, it, the scale just got to be so big that um, I was humbled every day, you know, and I really learned that clarity and communication, scheduling and sequencing, like what you're going to ask the field to do is so incredibly important. And it just continued to help me understand that you have got to prosecute any situation that's going to touch the field as much as you possibly can so that you can get it as simple as you can because the simplicity scales and whenever you have complexity in an organizational process or go to market motion that's when you run into friction and you start to see those vibrations and so um, i've always tried to try to simplify things down and look at it like if i can sell it anybody can sell it. And, um, that's what I, that's what I tried to do. So at that point, you know, global VP of solution sales, 2020, to 2021, how many different product lines were you looking after at that stage? There were four at that time. Um, it was basically the whole, it was the whole business. So it was every product we had at the company. And that process of simplifying how do you go about that? You, 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 you've, you've touched on it a bit there, but I just want to get into a bit more of the inner, inner workings of that. You know, simplifying is easy. You know, lots of talk about, you know, the, the hardest thing is to, to write short emails, right? And simplifying communication. Um, but, but how do you simplify? What is the process? How do you take things out? How do you work out what needs to stay in, what doesn't need to stay in? Can you give us a bit more insight into that? It all happens at the edge. It's, it's talking to customers and it's talking to account executives and it's talking to the pre-sales engineers, talking to the partners and listening and, and listening to like how they articulate things and listening to, you know, what grabs a customer's attention and then editing, you know, with passion and getting it down to the absolute essence of what the value is in that message. There's a lot of extra words. I mean, I'm in sales. We use a lot of words. And so, you know, taking the time to just take a step back and, and just figure out, like, can I drop half of these from that sentence is a useful process. Where do you think that comes from, Chris? That ability to be able to do that? Where in your journey in your life have you? That's easy. That, that came from my two older brothers and a Jesuit education. Um, <laughs> you know, I would, I would uh, come upstairs with, you know, a paper when I was in high school and my brother would just rip it apart, you know. My other brother would just write like too many words and send me back down, you know? So it was this constant exercise of, you know, thinking about it differently and trying to shrink it down because it's, I think Einstein, right? If you can't say it simply, you don't understand it. So really, really trying to understand the situation and then being able to articulate it as simply as you can, that's what's going to scale. That's a very, very profound takeaway. So I think that's, yeah, that, that's certainly really, really interesting approach. So transitioning out of service now, you know, you, you, you've spent the best part of six years at service now, had a really big impact. Um, you obviously transitioned across um, to, uh, to Amplitude and now you're at Launch Darkly where you've taken the Senior Vice President of Sales role why have you joined Launch Darkly and, and, and what is the mission? What is your role and what is the mission? So I am the SVP of Worldwide Sales, report up into the, the CRO, and um, we're on a mission to give developers the power to build their best software. 
and um, companies are obviously building a lot of software, a lot of digital service transformation that's taken off right now. And so um, we feel like we're in a great spot. And um, so my job is to help the organization become a multi-product company while at the same time scaling out the go-to-market org. So, so what, what can you tell us about, you know, where, where you are on that journey right now? So um, just tell us a little bit more. So LaunchDarkly's number one feature management platform in the world. We, in fact, created the category and we have 113 um, out of the Fortune 500, over 4,000 customers. And this is the one that always gets me. We flip 20, that's two zero, 20 trillion flags in production every single day. So we're probably using a lot of applications today that LaunchDarkly is, is powering. Hmm. I mean, it's, it, it is a very, very exciting organization, you know, real kind of um, very hot space, very relevant, very kind of topical right now. Um, what is the what is the mission? So obviously you're talking about kind of multi multi product, um, but what what's what's your what's the mission there for you? My my mission is to hire the greatest people that I can find to go and solve some of the hardest problems that organizations are facing today, and delivering software and maintaining engagement with your customer base is incredibly difficult. And so that's what we do at LaunchDarkly. And there's a lot of things that were promised in the sort of DevOps cycle that companies have not been able to realize. And so we believe that we've cracked the code. And by gradually releasing application components, what we're able to help customers do is avoid like those big bang technology migrations and all of the issues and the problems that come with that. Whether it's mobile, whether it's browser, it doesn't matter. Um, that's what we help customers do. And I'm just looking for people that can help us help our customers. Amazing. What, what, was, what was the most profound reason why you joined LaunchDarkly, Chris? I always broke it down into three things. It was the tech, the timing, and the team. So when you are the category creator and you get this many customers this early in your um, in your lifespan, um, that's a pretty good indication you got the right technology. And when I talked to the founders, I was completely blown away at what they do. Um, some of the, the biggest and greatest brands that we've got in the world, we are literally running their software in production today. And then the next was the timing. So, um, you know, when you think about organizations transforming, the highest rate of transformation is taking place at the digital level. And that's exactly what we help organizations do, whether it's an internal application or an external application. And then the final thing was the team. Every, every person that I talked to throughout the, the interview process um, continued to impress me more and more. And since I've arrived, you know, we've, we've added even more and more people. Amazing. That sounds like an awesome opportunity. And I did want to ask a question um, in regards to obviously ServiceNow. You were there for six years um, or just over six years. When did you know and what was it that made you realize that your mission there was done and it was time for you to move on? That's a good question. Um, I think it was the last role. 
Yeah, I mean, you're really making me think about that. Like, I kind of pinch myself sometimes because I don't, I can't even believe I did that. I was the first person in and started, you know, like we said, with a small group and one product line. And just through the sheer, I think, will and desire of that entire organization, um, we, we navigated explosive growth. And I had never managed any, you know, more than 10 people. And, you know, several years later, I'm managing, you know, teams of hundreds. And um, it was, it was really, really humbling. And so in the last role, um, I wanted to get back to the, to the account executives. I wanted to get back to the edge. And in large organizations, you know, there's a lot of strategy and there's a lot of internal planning, you know, that you've got to do. And, that was a great learning experience. But for me, you know, the fire burns. Like I wanna be at the edge. I wanna be helping, you know, a 25 year old account executive understand how to navigate an organization. And then I wanna stand back and I wanna watch him succeed. And that, that's what gives me the greatest, the, the greatest fulfillment. So ServiceNow was a fantastic experience, but it was time for me to build again. Nice. When you look back and you say to yourself, you were spent six years there, did it feel like six years? Yeah, yeah it felt like 25. I mean, when, you, <laughs> when, you, when you've got a global role and you're traveling all over the place, I mean, it wears on you. And um, I, I'm not complaining whatsoever because, you know, I'm here because of that. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't change a thing. Even, you know, I look at it like you don't always make the right decisions but you learn from the other ones. And there were things that we did early on that turned out to be um, things that we learned from. Um, but now I look at ServiceNow, they just released their last quarter earnings and they, you know, they did 2 billion in one quarter. And I mean, it just blows my mind that that's where that organization is. And I'm really proud of the contribution that my team's made. Yeah. I think it's, it's an absolute rocket ship. You know, the, when you actually think about the success story that is service now and in that six, six years of what you were able to achieve, I think, you know, it's absolute hats off. And I think, you know, credit where credit's due because lots of sacrifices are made for a journey like that. How did you balance your work life and family life in in an environment like that, because it's got to be highly taxing on time. I'd like to say I did it well, but I probably didn't. Um, <laughs> it, it takes a lot, you know, you got to be committed to the mission and you sacrifice a lot. You know, there's, there's first days of school, there's, sporting events, there's, you know, marquee moments and, and moments that matter. And, um, you know, you can't replace them. And, you know, I missed, I missed a bunch of them. Um, but one of the things I always tried to do was when I was traveling, just get back home. And um, when I was home, I was home. I didn't work at home. I mean, not until COVID. Um, but when I'm done, I'm done. Like, my, when I sit down for dinner, the phone is shut off and my family's getting a hundred percent of my attention. I think it's often overlooked, you know, when, 
know, individuals are looking up at senior management, you know, the actual sacrifice. And I think, you know, at the end of the day, you know, I think it's important that people are aware, you know, the, it, the sacrifices people like yourself make in order to help others um and for the better better good of everybody else not you know it's not it's it's by no means a, a, an act which you're doing purely for yourself you know lots of it's driven because you have that desire to help others right that's just how i grew up it was it was ingrained you know we had a big family six kids and um you know, you, you were there to, to help your community and you were there to, you know, to help others. And that's why I love leadership because it just feels like a natural extension of who I am. And I'm probably a better leader than I was a salesperson. Um, but, you know, I, I've had a lot of help. You know, I've been surrounded by just amazing people to, to be able to learn from and, you know, to take um, to take what I've got to the next level and then to be able to help others do the same thing. It's, uh, it's, it's incredibly hum humbling every single day. Uh, well, hats off to you, Chris. I think it's, it's, it's a tremendous story. You know, I really do appreciate you sharing some of those, those personal, um, points as well, because I think, you know, it's often overlooked and I think it's just important that, you know, credit, credit goes out to, you know, the, the external, right, as well, right, the family that are there to support you through that as well. <laughs> I think this is a perfect point to kind of reflect on what we've spoken about today, Chris, because I think, you know, there's there's been some really kind of profound takeaways that really have resonated. And I think it, a lot of it really does stem back to your operational background. I think the fact that, you know, you come from a, a mindset which allows you to really compartmentalize and really kind of break things down and almost kind of, kind of follow the sequences. Um, it really has enabled you to create a much more streamlined, effective approach. And, and, and by your own admission, at various stages of your career, you've, you've struggled, but intentionally you've struggled. You've put yourself into situations outside of your comfort zone but you've always had that ability to kind of just believe in the process and calibrate the process and really kind of go through it, figure it out. And really, once you've figured it out, what what the biggest impact you've had is then being able to then translate that to others to be able to follow the blueprint that's really worked for you and, and really streamline things down in a much more kind of consumable, in, in a much more simple way. And as you said, to quote you, simplicity scales right so i think you know it's been great spending this time with you today chris it's been an absolute pleasure um, to have you on the show and i'm certain that our viewers and our listeners have taken lots of great value from the conversation we've had today so thank you so much for uh, for joining us well simon ollie it is an absolute pleasure if there's anything i can share that can help someone else i'm all in and um it's really really been an honor and uh we're not done yet so I'm looking forward to the next step. Absolutely. Well, Chris, thank you so much for sharing and your absolutely incredible story of your journey, of your career and everything that you've done. So um, very much appreciated. So to all our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in today. Please do subscribe to our various channels on iTunes, Spotify and YouTube. The links are in the description below. But thank you and we look forward to welcoming you back for another show soon.